Um, in light of next week, we know next week we're holding some revival services, right? Morning and evening, 10.30 a.m., 6 p.m. Invite anyone and everyone to come on out to join us. Invite out the skeptics. I love that. You know, invite out those who say that there is no God, right? Because you can't deny it. The, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, I mean, they happen right before your eyes. Um, and so this morning we're going to be uh, just kind of prepping a little bit for that because there's usually a great deal of excitement when it comes to revival services, as it rightfully should be. We eagerly come expecting great things from God, right? We come eager. Sorry, I thought I had, a, had that misspelled at first. It's just a weird word to look at, you know? Anyways, it's like moist, you know? A lot of people, don't, anyways, uh, weird words. All right, weird is a weird word, right? I mean, come on! Weird is... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'm going to be a little off this morning, but you just have to bear with me. But we eagerly, we eagerly come expecting great things from our great God, and we should. We expect to experience a personal encounter with Him. It's not just like every other service, right? We come expecting to meet with Jesus, whether it be a prophetic word or the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, or salvation or spiritual gifts being imparted um, or healing, deliverance or what we're starting to get excited about is that new thing that we've never even heard of or seen before. We can't wait for God to just do that new thing that we can't even describe because it ain't never happened before, right? We're expecting, eagerly expecting God to do great things. We expect a fire of revival to fall, right? To come and to, to renew us and to set our hearts ablaze with him. For that refiner's fire to come and to burn away all these wicked desires of my flesh so that I can be set free from them, right? We expect to meet with, that, with God our all-consuming fire. That he would set us ablaze so we can shine brightly for him. We expect these things eagerly, and we ought to. We expect to have a hunger and thirst for his presence satisfied. And yet at the same time, to increase, right? Because you can just never get enough of Jesus. Never. We expect to hear a fresh word from God, a new revelation about him, about his kingdom, and more about who we are in him. To learn more about ourselves and our role in his kingdom. Um, you know, we, we come to be encouraged and challenged and inspired and basically just to live a full and abundant life that Jesus has promised. And, and all of this is good and rightful, and it should be the case. We should come eagerly expecting these things. However, this is the, the thing that always challenges me when I read through the New Testament. Um, and when we, we hear these cries for revival, what always challenges my heart is Why? Why is it that we have to wait for persecution or for death before we start being the people God called us to be? I mean, I love revival, but that means something's dead. It should have never been dead in the first place, right? Well, why, why do we need revive to seek after the things of God and to expect Him from Him? Do we do this in any other area of our life? Think about this. Do we wait until we are fatigued and ready to pass out before we eat? No, in fact, in our family, we have a saying, I ain't hungry, I'm just eating to keep from getting that way, right? <laughs> as, as, as you can tell. I'm not eating because I'm hungry, I'm eating because it's fun to eat. It's a generational curse we have to break off, I guess, I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> but do we wait? Do we wait until we're blue in the face and ready to pass out before we take a breath? No, we don't. Do we wait to find a source of income until, you know, our, our house and cars are getting repossessed and we, we can't pay our bills. You know, the debt collectors are just coming too much. Do we wait till then to find income? No. So why do we wait until we're a dead church to get excited about a move of God? 
Why don't we just get excited and stay excited about the move of God, right? Woo! Why don't we come every, and it's not even about a church service. It's not about this building. Why don't we come before the throne of God every day in our lives expecting it's going to be a new thing? Like, I, I, I forgot to put it in here, but it reminds me of if you ever watched the movie The Incredibles, um, you know, and there's that little boy and, you know, the dad's just throwing a fit and he just grabs a car and smashes it. And, and then he looks over and this kid's like on his little, um, his trike and he blows a bubble and, 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 the, and he's like, what are you looking at? He's like, just waiting for something awesome to happen, I guess, you know. Why don't we come like that little boy, you know, I'm just, we're just waiting for something awesome to happen. You know, for, to be like the Joshua that lingered in the presence of God, just to be in the presence of God. You know, not, not to do something or to be something, just to be in the presence of God. We should live that way. We should be a supernatural people because it's who Jesus says we are, right? Yeah, we're hybrids. We're spirit-filled, spirit-empowered. But what if our zeal for the Lord was something that we fanned into flame daily? What if? You know, what if? What if we lived under that sheltering covering of his presence instead of being a prodigal and having to keep running back into it, you know? I mean, you don't have to keep running away from God to experience, like, God pursuing you. You know, you don't have to do that. You, you can dive deeper into his presence, deeper into his word, deeper into his kingdom. There's always something new to experience. You know, you don't have to run away from it to experience it again. Um, you know, what if we did this? What if we sought to hear the voice of the Spirit and to follow his lead consistently? What if we lived a life of prayer instead of just having a prayer event, right? What if we lived this way? Because really, that's what we're called to live. This, in, in, in these services, is supposed to be just a, an equipping session, an encouraging session where we rally together as troops, and then we go out there and we bring it. We bring the kingdom of God wherever we go, right? That's, that's what this is supposed to be. But every day in our lives, we're supposed to be seeking after him. What if our desire, and this is the other thing that, that always strikes me when, when I go to huge conferences and events like, you know, we're going to have next week. Um, what if we were more excited about bringing someone else into the presence of God and them getting a prophetic word and them getting healed than we were for our own selves? What if we were a selfless people? I think your life would be vastly different. Proverbs eleven twenty five says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He who prospers others will himself prosper. It's a kingdom principle. And, and we see throughout our history, there have been many moves of revival. We see them all through the pages of scripture. Why did they need revival? Because their hearts were far from him. Because they were living a lifestyle contradictory to what he demanded that they live why he had to revive them because they were far from him you know and we've seen many modern revivals as well and i remember back in my day in the 90s whenever we were new hope assembly of god back in the uh dayton main street in the yellow house you know i remember the brownsville revival was going on and oh man i love the worship that came out of that you know several people would go down to visit and come back it's just like oh yeah i got to talk to jim hanks the other day he's my neighbor now again and um and i'm just like man that just hearing his voice brought back so many memories, you know, the good old days, right? When I, was, when I was freshly saved, first time I heard the gospel, first time I saw these things happening, you know? And, um, and it's good. It's good to seek after revival. But what is our role in that? Because I believe that there's going to be a, a, there's a new revival already stirring. It's already happening. It's happening in other parts of the earth. I believe it's coming here to America. 
I believe it's coming. I believe by the end of the year we're going to be experiencing you know, some of these things, these promises. Yeah! But what is our role in it? And, 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 and I asked God, I'm like, okay, what do we need to do to get ready? What do we need to get ready? And I was taken to 1 Kings um, chapter 18 with that showdown between the Baals and uh, Elijah. But what, what was necessary? And it brought me back to this song. You know, if we provide the sacrifice, God will provide the fire. God's just waiting on a people ready to bring it, ready to be the revivalists of this day, right? Ready to do our part. All we got to do is prepare ourselves. Just say, Lord, here I am. And his fire will fall. He will set you ablaze. He will equip you and, and empower you to do anything that he calls you to do. Because it's not about you, it's about him. We just lay our lives down, which is our true and proper worship, right? Worship is nothing more or less than laying our lives down. I love music and everything that we can express it to him, but really that's what worship is. However, now, unlike Elijah, we don't take stones and set up this altar and you know, cut up a, a, you know, a bull or a ram or a lamb or whatever and, and toss it on there and wait for God's fire to fall. Romans 12 teaches us that we are a living sacrifice. Paul said, therefore, I urge you. There's an urgency. We should sense an urgency in this world. If you don't have an urgency, turn on the news. Look at what's happening out there. There is lawlessness rising up. And what did God's word say about it a couple thousand years ago? During the end times, the lawless, lawless one would rise up, right? You know, it's happening. There should be an urgency about us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. We don't want to be voices of his wrath. We want to be voices of his mercy. When the cry for mercy comes out, man, God meets it. He answers it. He meets you there in that place, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and holy just means that you're set apart for god's purposes for god's good right holy set apart pleasing to god this is true and proper worship don't conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing perfect will so we offer up our own selves as a sacrifice and the fire of god comes the fires of revival, the Holy Spirit comes, right? It's said in different variations of this. And in fact, I've read some places where it says that this dude never even said this. So bear with me. But um, it, it says that John Wesley, John Wesley was once asked, um, what's your secret? Why do so many people come and hear you preach? And it says that he answered, I get alone with God in prayer. He sets me on fire. Then people come out just to watch me burn. And it's said in different variations, you know. People come just to see you burn. Just to see you burn. Just to see the fire of God. In fact, we know the greatest revivalist of all time took this very same approach. Set on fire alone. Then went out to the crowds and people just came to watch. People just came to observe by the crowds. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but a great revivalist, his name was Jesus Christ. You know, he really, he brought it. He, he brought revival. The blind could see. I mean, think about this. He was baptized with water and with the Holy Spirit, right? John 3. He began a worldwide movement that did not cease even now. 
You and I are sitting here this morning because the revival that started a couple thousand years ago. And in fact, it's not going to end until Jesus returns, right? Call us up home. It's unending. You can't stop it. He's an unstoppable God, right? He came down from perfection. He wrapped himself in the same weak, tempted flesh. He did it perfectly. I couldn't say it often enough, right? He became man and dwelt among us. He was baptized in water and the Holy Spirit, and so have most of us. If you haven't been baptized in water or the fire of the Holy Spirit, we've, we've got it available in abundance here, so just let me know. It takes some time to fire up the baptismal. It takes no time at all for the Holy Spirit. It'll just fall, right? But think about this. In just three, Jesus' ministry lasted only about three years. You know, that, that's what the estimate is. In just three years' time, his ministry made such a rippling wave that, you know, we're here this morning as a result. The, the blind could see, the dead were raised, the deaf could hear, the lepers were given clear skin, sins were forgiven, food was multiplied, every sickness, every disease was healed. It says that many times in the New Testament. Every sickness, every disease, demons were cast out. Many believed, they began following Jesus. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But essentially, that's revival. Revival broke out, and we're called to live a supernatural lifestyle. If you've never read this book, it's a simple read, please get it. It, it, it will challenge you in, in the best kind of way to live a supernatural lifestyle. Um, and be praying for their ministry as well. I don't know if those of you have heard or not, um, if you follow other Christian groups and whatnot, but uh, a ministry, the, the uh, uh, Global Awakening. Um, if you're familiar with, um, uh, uh, yeah, his first name is escaping me right now. Why? I can picture Bill Johnson. Um, he just lost his wife to cancer just a few days ago. So be praying for his family. I can't imagine what that man is going through because that man has had thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of confirmed healings from cancer, and yet his wife passed from it. And that's, sometimes we just can't wrap our minds around the kingdom of God, but the reality is she is healed, right? Far more than her husband could ever bring into her life. You know, Jesus, her perfect bride, you know, uh, groom has, has healed her. But, you know, be praying for their ministry and for that family because, you know, the enemy loves to just twist things and cause doubt. So we want to pray and believe that that ministry movement would continue bringing healing, not letting that shake them or cause doubt or not. Just, just to trust that God has the ultimate say. And his ways are definitely not our ways. His will, not always our will, right? So we just trust Trust in him no matter what. So be praying for their ministry and for the, uh, you know, for the, the whole Bethel family especially. Um, but Jesus took the same approach. It's amazing to think about. But what revival was described as in Jesus' own words was this in Luke chapter 17, verse 21. And I got this up on my wall in the office so I don't ever forget it. He said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Because he said, whenever people come and they're asking, you know, is this the kingdom of God? Is that the kingdom of God? Is this Jesus, you know? Jesus is like, it's not going to be in a specific place because the kingdom of heaven is already in your midst. In fact, when he, began, when he was baptized in water, you know what his first sermon was? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. You don't have to wait until Jesus raptures you home or you die and kick the bucket to enter the kingdom of heaven. Eternal life begins the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is when eternal life begins for you. Now we're these weird hybrids of I got, I'm being renewed inwardly day by day, Paul said, but outwardly I'm wasting away, you know? My eyes ain't as good as they used to be, you know, and everything's not working the way it used to. Outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed because you're getting a new body soon, right? Woo, yeah. The kingdom of God was brought. It was established here on the earth. 
I, I pray that every traditional church that doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or the move of the Spirit, when they pray, you know, every week that, that hallowed prayer, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, whenever, that, that, that revival would just break out everywhere. I don't want anyone to miss out on it. I want every church involved. I want every business involved. I want everyone involved, right, in the move of the Spirit. That your kingdom would come here on earth even as it is in heaven. That, that's revival. That's revival. Here on earth, even as it is in heaven. Recall this quote from John Wesley as we continue on here, that he got alone, set on fire, and then people came to watch him. It says here that it, about Jesus. It says that the news about Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, we're gonna, this is just what we're going to stick on. So if you want to turn your Bibles and get ahead of me here, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It says the news about Jesus spread all the more. <laughs> he told them to, to keep quiet about the healing that happened, but... <laughs> Nobody keeps quiet about healings, right? I want everyone to know how good God is and what he has done for us. And so the news about Jesus spread more and more, so much so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Those were two key parts of his ministry. He preached the word using common, ordinary language, right? Not master's degree, PhD, you know, doctorate of the doctrine, you know, the words. He used common everyday objects and lessons. He, in fact, it says that he never spoke without speaking in teachings and parables. He wanted people to get it and to understand it, right? And so they came to be, he, uh, to hear his word and to be healed of their sicknesses. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So you see this dynamic happening. What was happening in public squares, in public places, for everyone to see and to experience and to share about, those great mighty works began in lonely places of prayer. Jesus was alone in his prayer closet, wherever that was. It was usually out in the wilderness. He was a, he was a redneck guy that, you know, loved, loved, loved his creation. I mean, after all, he created it. I think it's pretty awesome. So I can't imagine being him like, he was there at the beginning. He's like, oh man, I'm so glad I created that bird. That's so cool. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, I digress. But here's the key. You know, we can't, we can't expect a mighty move of God. We can't expect the winds and the fire of revival to come and to consume us. And to, I, I kind of picture it's kind of like a flood where you just kind of get lifted up on it. You're just kind of floating along, you know, in the presence of God. Um, we can't expect his glory to come in that way, that fresh outpouring, if we are not alone in our prayer closets, letting our hearts burn and our voices lifted crying out for mercy, crying out for this move of the Spirit, not for us and not for God, but for the lost, that they would be found, for the sick, that they would be healed, by those who are bound by addictions, that they would be set free, for those who are hopeless to receive a new hope, right? New hope! Yeah, that's what we need. It starts there. It starts in our prayer closet. And I'm so thankful for, I'm not going to call you out publicly because we're going to keep it private, for those who even come in this place interceding because it creates an atmosphere here for God's glory just to come. For those who are interceding and praying every day. Jesus defined his success as this, the way that he brought revival and kept that revival going. He said, very truly, I tell you the son can do nothing by himself. We can't do anything. Trust me, if I could heal something, I'd have a ten toes and not nine, you know? I can't do anything. And Jesus, 
the, like God in the flesh, King of kings and Lord of lords. He said, I can't do anything on my own because I'm in this flesh. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. It's like monkey see, monkey do. You know, you ever play that, that game growing up? Jesus' success, the reason that he had such public, um, incredible success in his ministry was because he withdrew, went to lonely places and prayed. He wanted to see what, what his father was doing, and then he just cooperated with it. That's the key to revival. Not just bringing revival, but sustaining revival. It's just seeing what the father is doing and cooperating with it. Doesn't matter if it's weird or flaky or doesn't make any sense to you. I mean, Jesus spit in the mud and rubbed it, you know, spit in the dirt, made some mud, rubbed it in guys' eyes, and he did some really weird things, but he just did what he saw the Father doing. He was obedient, he was submissive, and because of that, he was incredibly successful. We can do the same, right? Revival begins in our alone time with the Father in prayer, where he sets us ablaze in fire. And of course, no revival goes without challenging or without being mislabeled as the work of the devil by religious people. Religious people who say the right words, right, but um, not with the right hearts. Not with the right hearts. Isn't that really the key? In verse 17, it says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Came from everywhere to hear him. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. It's another key. Understand what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it. There was power there to heal the sick. So it's like, okay, we're healing the sick now. And then there's a, there's a shift and there's a power to, to teach and to preach. To, to, to go with the ebbs and the flows of the Spirit and just do what the Father's doing, right? And it says, some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they kept trying to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they couldn't find a way to do it because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, I can't wait for the day that somebody's got to, like, cut a hole in our shingles, you know, to drop, drop the sick in because it's just too crowded. They just can't get in, right? Woo! It's coming, right? It's coming, it's been prophesied people, and we've, we actually had it happen a few times. People just drive in off 85 and ask for prayer because they needed something, you know. It's, it's happened in tiny amounts. I can't wait for it to reach its full fulfillness. All right, fulfillness. Yeah, it's a new word, fulfillness. I love it. Um, <laughs> and it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, he had to be laughing. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all the religious folk, they began thinking to themselves, who is this guy? He's speaking blasphemy. Who can forgive sins except for God alone? What does he think he's doing? Who does he think he is? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? You know, sometimes when revival comes, we just got to boldly approach things that we've been tiptoeing around for too long, you know? We've been tiptoeing around sin when it just needs called out and you just need to be told to stop it, okay? You know, sometimes the church just needs to rise up in that, that spiritual authority and stop the works of the devil, right? He said, which is easier to say then? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Remember, this guy's paralyzed. Which is easier? Sins are forgiven, get up and walk. He said, but... I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to paralyzed man, I tell you right now, get up and walk. Go take your mat. Go home. Get out of here. 
Immediately, the paralyzed man stood up in front of all of them. He took the path that he'd been rolling on. He went home praising God. Everyone was amazed. They gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things this day. Remarkable things. So we judge revival not by what we think is right or how we think it should look or what we think it should be done. We don't even judge revival today by how the revivals of yesterday were accomplished. We just get into our prayer closets and we ask the Lord to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what he's doing so we can cooperate with him, whatever it is and however it looks like. We walk in the authority he has given us, right? And I also believe that it's not the heart of God to simply raise up a single person to lead and sustain revival. A lot of revivals have, have faded because we're in this flesh. We can only do so much, right? You know? I believe it takes teams. Every follower of Jesus has some role to play in bringing and sustaining a move of the Holy Spirit. Paul taught it many times. We're all parts of one body. We need the whole body to be able to do everything we're called to do, right? Every single one of us. We're not here on accident. We are here on purpose and for a purpose. You're a part that I'm not. You can do things that I can't do. You see things the way that I can't see them. We need everybody, right, to be the body of Christ. You know, um, every follower has some role to play. We're all part of his body. We're all necessary. Jesus, I believe, as he was defined, he's the rock, right? He's the rock. Forget about, uh, what's his name, Dwayne Johnson? Mm -mm, he ain't nothing. Nothing compared to my Jesus. He's the rock. Jesus was the rock. And I, and I, I picture this happening. He said you saw Satan fall out of heaven like lightning. I, when I read this scripture, I got this new vision that Jesus was like this rock that was just tossed by the Father out of heaven. And he came to the, this world. And what did it say in the beginning in Genesis? The Spirit was hovering over the waters, right? It was like he was the rock thrown into the water, and there was this ripple effect that started, right? You know, if y'all ever tossed out, you know, a rock in the middle of a pond on a, 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 you know, a windless day, and these ripples just started. And it started with him, and it spread to the 12. And then he called 72, and then crowds followed him. And then there's 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, right? And then all of a sudden there's thousands, and, there's th and now there's millions, millions, right? Even at the revival that started back in Azusa with the Assemblies of God when they were founded, it was, we were birthed by revival as a movement. You know, there's millions, millions of people just in our little, you know, we're not a denomination, but you get it, you know, our little fellowship. But think about that. That ripple effect is continuing. We are a disciple and we are to make disciples to continue that ripple effect, to keep the ministry going, to keep the move of the Spirit going and flowing, right? So the glory of God will be known to every tribe Every nation, every tongue. The Bible said in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said that, that, that the, the good news of the gospel is going to be preached to everyone, to the ends of the earth, then the end comes. It's just exciting to think about the people that are out there making that happen, bringing the kingdom. It says in verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. For those of you who don't know, those are just, you know, they're very sinful people. They're, you know, frowned upon. Religious people wouldn't even talk to them. You know, they're thieves and whatever, this, that, and the other thing. Nobody wanted to be around them. And uh, Jesus said to Levi, follow me. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Right there's your salvation. That's what salvation looks like. 
You get up, leave it all behind, that old self, and you follow Jesus. That's salvation in a nutshell. I love how simple the kingdom is. Then it says, then Levi, he was like, this is awesome. He had a party. This huge banquet at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors. All of his buddies and others, they were eating with them. Remember last week, didn't, Jesus didn't save you where you were at necessarily for you to leave all that behind. There's a caution here. You've got to follow the Spirit. Some of us, when we were called, we were called in sinful situations and we can't go near there again. We're going to fall right back into it. You know, I can't hang out in that bar because I'm going to be drinking again. You know, you know your boundaries, you know your strengths and weaknesses. But some of us, we were called in that place and saved in that place to stay in that place and to save others, right? That's what Levi did. He's like, he's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not talking to you sinners anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm following Jesus. Y'all are sinners. You need to get your life right. He was like, hey, you got to meet this guy. This is awesome. You got to get you some of this, right? Had this big party, invited all the tax collectors. And it says that he was eating and drinking with them. And you think that would excite people, right? I mean, he got saved and he wants all of his friends to get saved. It's exciting. You know, he just gave his whole life to follow Jesus. And he, he wants other people to have that personal encounter with Jesus so they can experience the same thing that he just did. However, sinners getting saved when it really does happen because it's a messy thing. Anybody know that when you get saved, you, you don't live a perfect life? In fact, if you think you're living a perfect life, you probably need to open your Bible a little more often, right? <laughs> it's a messy process. It's fine, you know? You don't change overnight. It's a slow process from the inside out. Uh, we call that process sanctification. We come up with a, a churchy word for it, you know? But um, you just got to picture this scene happening, you know? Levi, he's still his old self, even though he's a new creation in Christ. And he's hanging out with all of his buddies like he always used to. They're having this big party, and Jesus is there. But when sinners get saved... And I even hate using that phrase because we're all still sinners. We're just saved and, you know, we do our best not to. But anyways, it, it offends religious people. It offends a religious spirit. It really does. And that's exactly what happened here. It says, but Pharisees, in verse 30, but Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their own sect complain to his disciples. And usually that's, the religious spirit usually comes out in complaining and gossiping and grumbling, right? You know, all through, from the Old Testament to New. They're grumbling, they're complaining, and they, they don't go to Jesus about what Jesus is doing. No, 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 no. They go to his disciples, right? And they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I love this. They're going to his disciples. They had their sect. They had their little group, you know. They go into this party, and they go to the disciples, and they're questioning the disciples and complaining about him. And Jesus is like, hey, yeah, it ain't the sick that need a doctor, right? You know, it's exactly what it is. Jesus answered them, and he says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't called to come to call the righteous, but rather sinners to repentance. Like, get back on mission, that's what revival does. It gets the church back on mission. We're here to seek and to save the lost. People who need hope, we got it. Bring it. Give it to them. You know, whatever you've freely received from God, you freely give. It's not yours, it's his. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing for us to also do this, to, to look back at, um, at, at previous revivals, 
to see where they succeeded, where they failed, where they are strong, where they are weak. It's good to study these things and, and to, to learn from them. However, God is a creative God. He's always doing something new. Jesus is always doing something new. He's doing a new thing. He's making new paths in the wilderness. He's bringing forth new springs from the wastelands, right? I think it's Isaiah 43. I've got up here. Yeah, verse 19. That's what he's doing. He's always doing new things. And this next event in Luke, it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. It's recorded in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. John, he was just too, you know, poetic of a guy, you know, just he was, and so he doesn't record everything the other three did, but he was more of a poetic, you know, storyteller than he was a historical, this is what happened teller. But when something is in three of the four Gospels that should catch our attention... Now, I don't know whether this was a sincere question from a pure heart or whether this was a continuation of the murmuring and complaining that the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, you know, were, were beginning. It may have just come from an offended heart. But people began questioning Jesus and his disciples. They began challenging their methods and the way they did ministry because they didn't do it like everyone else did it, right? They were a lot more successful than everyone else, but it, that always just confuses me you know somebody's doing something the way they've just always done it and they're not succeeding somebody tries something new and they're having great success instead of being like hey how'd you do that i want to know how you did that because i'm not doing so well over here they're like no 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 you can't do it that way that ain't the way we've always done it. we always we got to do it this way we've always done it this way and we got to just keep doing it this way well when's the last time that you led someone to i had this conversation with so many people over the years i'm sorry if you're here this morning you know it's like okay i, I know that's the way you did it you know in the 50s but okay how many people have you led to christ since you've been saved and usually it's like no one okay well, let's try something new try something different you know give it a try see if it works if it doesn't work oh well right our third core value spirit led whatever the spirit is telling us to do that's what we're going to do that's the way we're going to do it whether i even like it or not I can't, I, I, I can't sing what a beautiful name. If you couldn't hear me up there, I'm like, what? you know, but this is what Jesus wanted to hear this morning. So that's what we're going to do in worship. You know, it's what he wants, not me, right? His will, not mine. More of him, less of me. Okay. So we get this idea in this theme. So, um, they just didn't understand and, and they came and they, they questioned Jesus. They said, why don't your disciples do what John's disciples are doing? Why don't your disciples do what the Pharisees do and the teachers of the law do? Why don't you do ministry the way others do ministry? They said to him, John's disciples, they, they often fast and pray. And so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, you guys are always eating and drinking. You never stop. <laughs> Literally, verse 33 here. You never stop eating and drinking. They were partying. Do you know why? You know why? Jesus tells you why. They just didn't understand. What they weren't perceiving was the season, the spiritual season, the spiritual time that they were living in. Jesus answered. He's like, can you make friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Can you imagine, can you imagine that bachelor party? All right, guys, let's do this. Yeah, we're going to fast. You know, no, Jesus even said this. No, they don't. He's like, you don't understand. You don't understand. Can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come. 
The time's going to come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and in those days, they'll fast. Jesus is like, we're partying. I'm here with them now, and we're going to make the most of every moment. We're going to live life to its full, because there's coming a day when I'm not going to be with them anymore. And then it's a different time. It's a different season. They'll fast. They'll pray just the way your disciples do, but not now. Not now. We've got work to do, right? He often used parables and, and tried to help people to understand the critical need for us to understand and to honor and to enjoy the old while also simultaneously embracing the new. Um, otherwise, we will be destroyed by our unwillingness to change. You know, there's always a conflict in the church whenever generation and generation and generation come forth. I praise God that I kind of shared my testimony with you. I wasn't raised in the church, so I didn't know what church things was. I didn't know what people said, did, or acted. I just knew what the Bible said. Like, the Bible was all that I had. I had my teen study Bible that, that New Hope gave me, and that's all that I knew. That was church, you know? So I love that. I, you know, it wasn't sort of formed and, and shaped by this is what church looks like, and this is how church people speak and act, you know? It's just, well, what does Jesus say we're supposed to look like and act? like and everything you know we had that but you know we have this 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 issue so often this conflict in churches from generation to generation um you know where there's this conflict between the old and the new and especially when it comes to ministries and ways and and it really shouldn't be the case you know god doesn't want to see conflict in his body he wants to see unity and harmony in his body and jesus gave us the answer here but we ignore it because all of us want our way right we want the good old days or we want the new ways. And none of us want to bend or, you know, bow down to one or the other. But Jesus gave us the, the answer here to this conflict and this, the, you know, this friction that, that, that happens in the church. And um, he made it very simple and easy for us to understand, but we just don't get it. He gave a parable. In verse 36, it says, he told him this parable. And I'm closing soon, I swear. He told him this parable. No one tears a piece out of new garment and uses it to patch an old one. Otherwise, they both will have torn the new garment. And the patch, well, it won't even match the old anyways, right? You've seen that before? I, shingles come to mind with this, you know? You get the exact same color as shingles so that you replace them on your roof, although they've been there for 25 years, and you're like, that ain't the same color, right? Because it's been faded and worn, and yeah. They just, they're the same, but they look different. They're not matching up, right? And then he goes on, and we all know the parable. And no one pours new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the new one will burst the skins. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. Like, you lose everything. If you try to put new stuff in old stuff, it, pff, those skins are going to burst. You're going to lose your wine. You're going to lose your wineskins. Everything's just ruined. Everything's destroyed, and we don't want that. Jesus said no in verse 38. New wine, it has to be poured into new wineskins. But we can't forget the next part. Everyone knows that part of the parable. Verse 39. We, got, we, we need the whole counsel of God's word, right? Verse 39, he says, And no one, after drinking the old one, do they want the new? Because the old is way better, right? So which is good and which is bad? Neither. They're all good. They're all good. Because that old aged wine that is way better than that new junk, the, the only reason that it's aged old wine is because at one point it was a new thing that no one really wanted. So it was set aside and then it aged and it became great, right? You, know? you need both. 
And you really can't mix the two. If you put new wine in an old wine skin, it's going to break, you know. You just can't. And if you put old wine in a new wine skin, well, it just doesn't age the same way. You know, you, you end up ruining it either way. There's nothing wrong with the old. Sometimes, like fine wine, the old's better. It really is, right? However, that old fine wine, it was once new. It was unaged itself. So we not only can, but as Jesus is teaching us here, we must we absolutely must learn to honor the old while also making a place for the new, the new thing that God's doing. We have to prepare our lives, in our lives, a new wineskin for the new while not throwing out the old. We can enjoy both. Our lives are flexible enough. They're, they're diverse enough to be able to, to honor the old and yet also to embrace the new. We can do this. We can do this walk. Um, we, you know, not necessarily mixing the two, but embracing whatever change God is bringing about. Because after all, what has Jesus declared in Revelation? Behold, I make all things what? But the old's better. Everyone says the old's better. No one wants the new one when they taste the old one. But Jesus declared, I'm making everything new. And some people say new's better. I want the iPhone 14, not the 13. You know, I, we need both. And here's the final point that Jesus gets to. You see, sometimes we're looking for signs. We're looking for signs, but we're blind to the ones that are right in front of our face. We need to see and to hear what God is doing and cooperate with him. And I thought about ending before this, but I really feel like the Spirit wants to speak it, so I'm going to go into this, and that'll be our final kind of ending point. But um, because recently we, um, I'd shared with several of you, you know, we, we had an accident, you know, those, those deer, man, they're running like crazy. We ended up uh, having our, our car totaled and... Um, in our family right now, we've got four workers and sports and having a car and a bike, you know, it just doesn't work. I, we're always struggling to figure out how to get everybody everywhere where they need to be all at the same time, and it, it's just crazy. So to be without a car is a struggle. Um, so we went to this, and, <laughs> and Steve's cheap. <laughs> he... Yeah, especially with cars at the prices that they are right now. I'm like, okay, they gave us this much money. Well, let's just go find something for that much money. I don't want no new loan. I don't want to deal with that, you know. So we uh, went to this used car dealership. They've got super cheap cars. And yeah, they've got issues, but so do I. So we're going to love them anyways, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, it was hilarious because I walk into this dealership. And, you know, the insurance had given us the money, so I'm like, do you accept personal checks? You know, can I, can I just write you out a check and, and buy this thing? And he's like, uh, no. He's like, sorry, just cash or certified check. And as soon as he said that, like, I'm sitting six inches away from this guy. There's this huge sign right there. And in bold print, in like 24-point font, it says, no personal checks, <laughs> you know. And then I look around, and there's signs everywhere. And I, I started laughing, like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, how blind can I be? I mean, it's right there, you know? How often are we like that in our spiritual lives? We're looking for a sign, and it's right there in front of us, you know? Um, we're kind of, remember Jacob from a few weeks ago? He was like, surely the Lord is, is, was in this place, and I didn't even know it. Sometimes we're crying out, God, where are you? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you speaking? And the whole time, he is. We just miss it. We just miss it. We have to have eyes to see, ears to hear what the Spirit's doing. Because it's never that he's quiet. It's that either we ain't listening or we're not understanding. We're not perceiving what he's doing, what he's up to. And he wants to reveal those things to us. He does. Um, Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Pharisees, Sadducees, 
popular folks, the religious people, always, always just challenging Jesus. They showed up and they tested Jesus by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, this was after all these signs, wonders, and miracles that they saw right before their own eyes. They wanted another sign. Remember this whole map thing? <laughs> you know? Anyways. Jesus replied, when evening comes, you say it'll be fair weather because the sky's red, right? I remember learning that little parable, you know, red at night, sailor's delight, red in the morn, sailor's worn. Weather's going to be good. Sky's red tonight, you know? He said, you know how to do that. In the morning, you say, today will be stormy because the sky's red and it's overcast. So that's a biblical parable, by the way. Jesus just said it. He's like, you guys say this thing. He said, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation, they look for a sign, but nothing will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus just left them and went away. Now, I can only imagine how long it took them. They probably went back, they read through Jonah, scratching their heads. They're like, what does he mean, the sign of Jonah? This guy's nuts. I mean, he definitely got to be demon-possessed. Something ain't right with this guy. The sign of Jonah? What is he talking about? Some big fish going to just jump up on shore and grab him? I mean, we all know what he was talking about, right? Three days, Jonah was in that great fish, dead. But on the third day, what? He got spit back out, right? I hope that those Pharisees on the day of the resurrection were like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> the sign of Jonah, yeah, three days. Yeah, that was a good one. We still hate you, but that was a good one, you know? <laughs> Anyways, so next week, next, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself here. Next week, bring as many people as you can. You know, people who you know just need hope, tell them just give it a try. Give them a chance, you know? Give Jesus a chance. The reason we bring people in here, you know, is because I, I, I'm, I love to teach and preach, but you know, I'm not an evangelist. I'm, I'm not an apostle. Um, you know, I don't have some of these giftings, and that's okay. So we bring them in, because we need the full five-fold ministry, right? We need all the gifts of the Spirit to be whole, complete, lacking nothing. But, you know, invite people to come in, even people who are like, you know, whatever, you know, God doesn't do that today. Invite them to come in and check it out. Give them the freedom to just see Jesus. And when you come, come eager. Come expecting God to do something new. Come excited and eager to see Jesus heal the sick. Come, come believing to hear a prophetic word. And even if, if Jason or Laura, this man and woman of God, even if they don't speak to you personally, you're not here to see a man and woman. You're here to meet with Jesus. Let him speak to your heart. Let him give you a fresh word. Come seeking after him. Seeking after him. Great things are going to happen. Let's come expecting God, that all-consuming fire, to set us ablaze. Not for ourselves, but so that we might go out into the world and bring the light. And bring some hope. And bring healing and deliverance and all these things. Let's be intentional about continuing to fan and to flame the fire of the Spirit, right? That, that, fan, that spirit that is within us every day so that we might live in the presence of God, so that we might be revivalists in our own little sphere of influence. If you've never looked at the, uh, the missionary wall out there in the map, you know, if you take a look, there's, a, there's one missionary spot out there that says you. 
You're a missionary into a 25-mile radius around this place. You've been called. You've been equipped. You've been empowered. You've been commissioned to go make disciples. As you're going, make disciples. Teach them everything Jesus said. And so, Jesus, this morning, we thank you. Thank you for being so honest, for so real, for so, being so upfront, Lord, with some of the, the opposition that you faced. And help us, Lord, to be more like you, to learn from your methods, to learn from your ways, to learn from your life. Forgive us for not valuing time alone in prayer. Lord, that's where you started. And if you needed to do it in this flesh, then how much more do we need to do it? Help us, Lord, to do our part. To see what you're doing, to hear what you're saying, and just to be your voice and your hands and your feet. To just do what you're doing so that the world would know how awesome you are. So the world would know how much you love them. That you gave everything for them personally. So they can be forgiven of their sins, set free from their old self. So that they can embrace a new life full of hope and faith full of fulfilled promises, full of joy and peace. Lord, help us to be revivalists wherever we go, to stay on fire for you and to burn bright for you so that people would see, yeah, we've got issues, we've got mistakes, we've still got sin we're trying to get free from it in our own lives, but it's not about us, it's about you. Help us to live a life that shows you in the midst of our mess. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us captives free, for healing our sickness and disease, for saving us and making us mature and complete, Lord, and for never giving up on us till we reach our full potential in you. In your name, amen.